listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. You know, as, as we talk about prayer, I just want to remind you that a cool thing is happening around our county this evening. Uh, tomorrow is the first day of school, and all the parents said, praise Jesus. And all the teachers said, get behind me, Satan. Uh, but uh, tonight, uh, there's a group that kind of makes sure that every year, the Sunday evening before the first Monday of school, that they ha- we have people praying on every single school campus in our county. Um, that's awesome. That somebody just kind of spearheads that. So I want to encourage you. Um, tonight, uh, I've been asked to lead the prayer effort at Randleman Middle School. Just naturally, that fits for our church. Um, but what I want to challenge you to do is, is go to whatever school that you have a connection with. Uh, if it's Randleman Middle, awesome. But if it's not, maybe you want to go to the school where your child attends or where you teach or where somehow you're connected, involved. But tonight at 6 o'clock at the flagpole of every school across our county, there will be people praying. Just praying for the students and the faculty and the parents and that the year will start off well. And, and so would you just mark that on your calendars tonight? It, if you come, you won't be there more than an hour at most, I would say, um, unless the Holy Spirit just breaks out and keeps you there longer. Come on. Um, so uh, just plan on that tonight. And again, if I'll be leading the prayer at Randleman Middle School, but whatever school that you're connected to, because I know that like we're kind of a regional church. We have people from all kinds of schools all across our county. Um, and maybe you don't live in Randolph County. If you live outside our county, I don't know if they're doing this in other counties, but why don't you just start it? How about that? Come on. Uh, you go to whatever campus and you just pray over it and you just call down the resources of heaven to be on that place Uh, as we start a new school year. But today, we are going to continue to close the gap. Woo, yeah, that's good. Uh, Last week, we made a decision. We decided that we were going to be the church. We were going to be the people that started to erase the stigma that the church is full of nothing but hypocrites. Because if you're like me, as you encounter people in the world, a lot of people, the reason why they have an issue with the church has nothing to do with Scripture, has nothing to do with Jesus, but it has to do with the people that sit in it every single week. That the number one reason why people say is, oh, I, don't, I can't go to church. I don't want to be a part of a church. I gave up on the church a long time ago because it's full of nothing but hypocrites. And the reality is, they're right. And, and that's just the reality because every single one of us, at some season or another, has contributed to that stereotype. Because we've all had moments when what we believe has not been reflected in how we behaved. Like we've all had moments, even if, some of us have been living in that season for a really long time. Sometimes it, it's, it's, it's a prolonged season, sometimes it's just a momentary situation. But we've all had times when our behavior did not reflect what we stand up here and say that we believe. And our goal in this series is to figure out how do we we close that gap? How do we erase that divide between our beliefs and our behavior? Because the reality is that what we believe, what we claim to believe to be as truth should be seen in how we behave. Like if we say we believe something about God, and we say that we believe something about what God's word says, about how we should live, if we we speak it, if we profess it, 
It should be demonstrated in how we live. And all of us have gotten this wrong at some point or another. Amen? Like maybe even this morning. But the reality is it's a dangerous way to live. And it's, it's very detrimental to God's kingdom when we allow there to be a gap between what we claim to believe and how we behave. Remember we read this verse last Sunday from Titus chapter 1. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. That basically God's word saying as long as this gap exists, the good that we could accomplish in the world will not happen. As long as there is a gap between what we say we believe and, what, and, and how we behave, that we as the people of God can never really accomplish anything good. And maybe the world is the way it is and culture is the way it is, is because we haven't fully lived out what we claim to believe. I think it's time we started owning that, church. Come on. That the issues that we're experiencing in our culture are nobody's fault but our own. That we have not represented Jesus well so many times. And that if, if you claim to believe in Jesus Christ, and you claim to believe in his word, and you allow yourself to carry that label, then how you behave, how you live, it matters. Because for some people, you're the only Jesus they're ever going to see. If you were the only representation of Jesus to somebody and we asked them, who is Jesus? And their only reference was your life. Now some of you are like, Matt, that ain't fair. It ain't fair. But can we all agree that it may be reality in some way? This church exists to inspire people to live and love like Jesus because Scripture says that we are to be imitators of Christ. We are to be Christ's ambassadors, Paul says, which means we are to represent Jesus everywhere we go. So we got to find a way to begin to erase the gap. The number one problem that Jesus had with the religious people of his day, Matthew 23, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You were like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything clean. Like you look like a Christian from the outside. Like you got the Caleb bumper sticker. It used to be you had a, a, a cross necklace. Now, I guess in our culture, you got the Jesus tattoo. I got two. Verse 28, in the same way on the outside you appear to be people that's righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Like, I don't want Jesus to have to say that about this church. That when he looks, and, and this church is not me, right? This church is us. It's us. And so we have to figure out a way to, to bring what we believe into alignment with how we behave. Like, these things should equal one another. That what we claim to believe. And so we started talking about, all right, how do, we, how do we begin to erase that divide? And one of the things that we talked about last week is, first off, you've you got to kind of come to terms with what you believe. Like you've got to begin to own it, like yourself. Like it can't be your mom's faith or your grandmother's faith. Or you can't be following Jesus just because you happen to be born in the South. And that's just what we do. Like you've got to begin to own it. 
And when you begin to own it, like it begins to kind of allow some questions to rise to the surface. Because if we're going to bring our, our beliefs and our behavior into alignment, we have to wrestle with, all right, what I believe about what he says. You have to deal with, all right, what do I believe about what he says? Because what I believe about what he says will greatly impact how I behave. Y'all with me this morning? Coffee ain't strong enough out there. It's like motor oil some days. I know that, right? Like, we have to get to this point. What, what I believe about what he said. And so, like, like we have to wrestle with that because God's word says a lot about this, if we're honest. Come on. Now, again, do not get it twisted up. Like, like your, your behavior will never save you. Like, your behavior, will, you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You can never behave good enough to earn heaven. But when you put your trust in Jesus, salvation has side effects. When Jesus really takes up root in your heart, it begins to change you. It changes the way you think and the way you look at the world and the way you see people, the way you see yourself. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. But this, this hit me this week, and, and the message took a little bit different directions. Because I wanted to spend some time talking about what he says and, and really what he says about our behavior and how we should live. But you know what I've learned? Before you can really wrestle with what I believe about what he says, you have to, believe, you have to wrestle with what I believe about who he is. Let me say it again. Before you can really wrestle with what I believe about what he says, you have to wrestle with what I believe about who he is. Because the reality is, you will misinterpret what he says if you misunderstand who he is. You will. You, you will misunderstand what he says if you don't understand who he is. Because if you don't understand who he is and let who he is filter what he says, then some of what he says will be hard to understand. You ever read, sometimes I read the Bible and what he says is really unfair. If you don't know who he is, some of what he says will seem unfair, impossible. I would even submit that if you don't understand who he is, some of what he says will even seem cruel. If you don't accurately know who he is. And so what I really want today to do is, is, is try to get you to really understand who he is. Because I think before you can fully, to, fully surrender to what he has said, you have to accurately see who he is. And so many of us, the reason why there's a gap between behavior and belief is because we are filtering what he has said through a really skewed picture of who he is. Because see, some of us grew up and we didn't, we didn't get the God of Scripture, we got the God of culture. We didn't get the God of his word, we got the God of our experience. And our theology, our understanding of who God is has been shaped by, the, by an improper source. 
Some of us grew up and God was this far off deity sitting upon some throne with a smug look on his face and a lightning bolt in one hand waiting to strike us the moment we say or do anything bad. That was just me, I guess. Like we had this view of God as this impersonal deity that just existed somewhere out in the cosmos. And he was just walking around like looking at me like, you do it, boy, I'll hit you with this lightning bolt. <laughs> and like that, and think about how that shaped how you interpreted what he said. So like you walked around on eggshells with God who's everywhere. So you walked around on eggshells everywhere. And now God is a God of justice and authority and power. But so many, what I want to do today is, is, is kind of, Get a good picture of who he is, because if we're gonna, and we're gonna talk about kind of more about what he said next week. But before we can start really diving into the things he said about how we should live, you've got to get the right view of who he is. And I feel like maybe there are people in this room that the picture that you have in your mind of who God is is inaccurate. Because for so many of us, it's rooted in the wrong things. And you've heard me say before, experience, life, will paint a really inaccurate portrait of who God is. Like if you just relied on your situation, your circumstance, and your experience, God can appear to be something other than who he is. Come on. Because like like when you've gone through what a lot of you guys have gone through, I've had conversations with you. Why would God let? Why would God do? Why am I doing? Why am I experiencing this? Why has this gone on? Why is God like this? If God was real, then. If God was loving, then why? And it's rooted in what you have gone through. But the reality is, this is why God has given us his word. Because only in scripture can you find an accurate image of of the God you serve. And that's why we need to be in the Word. Because when life says one thing, you need to know that Scripture may say something very different. And so I want to, I want you to do something. I don't really want you to look at the screens. I just want you to hear these words. Because when I read through the Psalms, I can relate to David. Because there's times when, you know, David is just, and you know, many of the Psalms are simply the journal of King David. When he's going through all, and you know, David, David was jacked up. You know, David was, David would have fit in great at Venice Church. Because he's just as messed up as the rest of us. A man after God's own heart who had one of the biggest blunders in all of history. A man who struggled with identity issues and security and understanding. Can anybody relate to David? If you can't go, you may tell you what to do. You, you looking for a good reading plan? Just start reading through the Psalms. And I think there's times when David actually has to remind himself, in spite of what he's going through, in spite of his circumstances, he has to remind himself of who God really is. And so he writes things like this. Just li- listen to these words. Psalm 145, pick up with verse 9. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. 
and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all who look to you, you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. See, that's God. That's the God that you serve. That's the God who loves you. That's the God who sent his son so that you could have life. One of my favorites, and I'm about to read a long passage of scripture. Y'all with me? Say amen. It's okay if we just read the word of God a little bit in here this morning. Come on. Y'all didn't come to hear me. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely darkness will hide me and the light come, uh, become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. How I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before they even came to be. How precious to me your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. Now, if y'all can amen sometimes, surely you can amen the word of God this morning. Come on, good gracious. See, David, in these moments where life, when, he, when he's had a gap, when David didn't fully live out what he had proclaimed to be as king of Israel and follower of God, that the man after God's own heart at times did things that created this divide. And when he's in that painful moment of wrestling with his own imperfection and he's dealing with the circumstances and the blowback of those decisions and it appears as if God might not be who he always thought he would be he's sat down and he pins he, he's reminding himself of who God is because who he is matters. And if you don't have the right picture, the right image, the right understanding of who he is, you will never fully surrender and follow what he has said. Because an understanding of who he is, it brings this understanding of what he said. And when you really know who he is, you'll have no problem doing what he said. You won't. You'll have no problem doing what he said. I told you that the reason I'm preaching this sermon, this series, is because I know what I've done to contribute to that stereotype of hypocrisy. There have been several moments in my life 
while pastoring this church who my behavior didn't necessarily reflect my beliefs. If you have a problem with that, maybe you need to find a church with a perfect pastor. Good luck. But I wrote down a few things to remind me who God is from those Psalms. He is real. He is near. He is loving. He is powerful. And I've just been saying that to myself lately. My family's in a season of change and things are happening around us and it's crazy in my world like I'm sure it is. And as I'm experiencing things at times which challenge God, I just have to remind myself, God, He is real, He is near, He is loving, He is powerful. He is real, He is near, He is loving, He is powerful. And when you start to recognize those things and when you and your life acknowledge with everything you have that He is real, He is near, He is loving, He is powerful, that is a game changer in how you live your life. When you, it, what if we lived every single day like he is real, he is near, he is loving, he is powerful? What if every time you had a conversation, every time you got a negative email, every time you had something go wrong in your life, or every time you had something go good in your life, it was your reaction and your response to what you were experiencing in that moment was in response to the reality that God is real, he is near, he is loving, he is powerful. That God is real. There's one thing, if there's nothing else I'm certain about is there is a God and I am not him. That he is real. And if he is real, if you acknowledge the reality of God, then you have to give him his rightful place in your life. Because he is God and only he is God. That means I'm not God. My money's not God. My shoes, as much as I love them, they're not God. My wife is not God. My kids are not God. My job is not God. So the only thing that is God in my life is God. Therefore, he is the supreme authority in everything I think, say, and do. Amen. That, he is, that he is near. He's not some far-off God. Like, there's never a day when, like, he's busy with other things. Sorry, God. It, it would probably like, God, it's mad again. Sorry to bother you. Um, could you stop worrying about all the other problems in the world because I have a hangnail? I mean, come on, God. Like, he is near. You never have to invite God's presence into your life. It's always there. You can't escape it. If you wait to come to church to be in God's presence, you don't, you don't understand who God is. He is with you in every moment, in every situation, in every place. He is always near Even if, you, even if you are here today and you don't acknowledge him, he's still near. He's always been near. He is loving. You know how I know? The cross of Jesus Christ. That's all I need to know. If he never did anything else in my life to show that he loved me, the cross should be enough. That he became a man and died for you. He is loving. And he is powerful. He is more powerful than whatever it is that you're worrying about needing to be done. And I just began to think, all right, I say those things, but what if I really lived like that? What if I really, God, I know you're near, I know you're real, I know you're loving, I know you're powerful, but that's, that's what I believe. But I started thinking, all right, is that reflected in how I behave? And can I be honest with you? There's a lot of times it's not. 
And see, sometimes I think we see this and we think that, oh, the only time that, that our behavior doesn't reflect our beliefs is when maybe we're like we're caught up in some type of, of really nasty sin. And that's true. But there's so many other things, and maybe we could call them sinful because they don't reflect that we believe in God. But I started thinking about, all right, for me, this is just for me. Maybe this list won't mean anything to you. But I started thinking, all right, for, for Matt, what if, what if I really lived every moment like God is real, near, loving, and powerful? How would it change me? And I just wrote some things, and this is, just, this is right out of my journal. Number one, worry would never consume me. If I really behaved like I believe he is loving, he is real, he is near, he is powerful, then worry would never consume me. And can I say, worry often consumes me. Anybody who knows me know, like, I, if I'm not worrying about something, I'm worried that I don't have something to worry about. I'm like, why am I not worried? There should be something I should be worried about. Why am I not worried? Oh, crap, what's going on? I'm not just worried about something. But I think if, if he is really real, and if he is near, and if he is loving, and if he is powerful, why would I ever worry? Because that means my Heavenly Father is always looking over me, and he is always working in my behalf. And if I'm living in obedience to him and following his will and his ways, worry would never consume me. If I really live like he is real, Philippians chapter 4, Paul wrote, Rejoice, the Lord Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, if I really lived like he was real, worry would never consume me. You know the beauty about this passage? Paul wrote those words while in prison, waiting to see if he was going to be killed or not. You know why? He can write rejoice and don't be anxious because he believed very deeply that God is real. He is near. He is loving and he is powerful. And when you believe that he is real, he is near, he is loving and he is powerful, you can sit in a jail cell and face death and say rejoice. <laughs> if I really believe that God is who he says he is, then fear would never paralyze me. Fear would never paralyze me. There are times that in my life that I get stuck because I'm just simply afraid to step out. Fear. Just out of pure fear. Maybe you, you might see and think worry and fear are the same thing, and maybe they are, maybe they're connected. But there are times, even right now, as our church is changing and things are becoming just different and moving forward and we're about to do something that I mean a church that does Monday night that's crazy and weird and why would we do that and there's sometimes like just the fear of we're gonna come here on Monday night and we're gonna worship and there's gonna be three people that I'm spitting on on the front row and then that's it or my kids going to a new school this year first time they're under a roof without their mom and they're not gonna have that security blanket and just the fear like you know there's just and some of these are like Matt I got real things to be scared about and maybe you do but just telling you mine <laughs> and like I just get paralyzed and I want to shut down and I want to disconnect and I want to withdraw but if God is real and he's loving and he's near and he's powerful then I have to trust 
Psalm 118, we were hard pressed, I cried to the Lord, but he brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me, he is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. God was really who he says he is then trials would never destroy me trials would never destroy me nothing I ever went through would totally destroy who I am nothing I ever face could I not come back from do you realize like if God is who he says he is then he is a God of restoration and redemption and it doesn't matter how big the mistake or how hard the trial or how broke you feel or how busted it seems or how messed up it is or how much in ruins things seem to be that God can bring it back to life. If he can raise Jesus from the dead he can reconstruct anything that I mess up. Trials would never destroy me. If God is who he says he is, then the enemy would never be able to convince me that I could do something that would destroy my potential to ever be again what God has called me to be. Whew, that might be the best point of them all, and y'all ain't even excited. Because there's some people in the room, like you feel like what, with what you've done and, or the trial that you're in or the, thing, the situation you're in, you think like we're never recovering from this. We're never going to recover from this. Our marriage will never recover from this. Our finances will never recover from this. Our, our, we will never recover from this. But my God says that trials will never destroy me. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If God is who he said he is, then people would never define me. You're probably more secure than I am, but there's times that I get caught up in what people say about me. That it's really easy to read criticism of me or of our church or of whatever and begin to find my identity in what other people say. Or it's really easy to stand up here and find my security in how you respond to the way I preach. But I don't preach for you. I preach for him. I preach for his glory. I say that, but there's times that I don't live that. There's times that I wake up on Monday morning and, I, and, I, and I'm going in my head and I'm worrying about things and I'm thinking about, like I find in my life at times that my security has been found in the approval and the opinion of other people. But if God is who he says he is, if he is the one who created me and gave me life and knit me together in my mother's womb, then if you didn't die for me, you cannot define me. Colossians chapter 2. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head of every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. See, I am in Christ, and I don't need the approval of other people. If God is who he says he is, people will not define me. And finally, if God is who he says he is, then compassion would never leave me. 
compassion would never leave me. If God is who he says he is, then I can always act and treat people with love and concern and compassion. Because you know what I've discovered is the reason why we aren't compassionate toward other people is because of all the things I just listed. It's hard to love on people when you're worried about yourself. When you're consumed by worry, it's hard to pay attention to the other people and what they need and what's, what they're going through in their lives. Because worry consumes you and turns you inward. When you're afraid because you've experienced really bad things and you're afraid to put yourself out there and love other people, and it paralyzes you from being able to love them. When you're looking for people to define you, you want to just please them and coddle them. And do all, and, But if you understand who you are in Christ, and if God is who he says he is, then the way that you treat people, compassion would never leave me. I would always be ready and willing to love on people the way Jesus meant for them to be loved. If God is who he says he is. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For Christ's love compels us. See, we are, we are compelled to behave and live in this way because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, if God is who he says he is, if we have the accurate portrait of who God is, if we know that he is real, he is near, he is loving, and he is powerful, it will change how you live. And until you fully see him accurately for who he is, you will never completely surrender to what he has said. So maybe the thing that's creating the gap in your life, maybe the thing that's standing in the way of you actually living out what you believe is for so long you've been starting from the wrong place. You've been interpreting everything he said through a misunderstanding of everything that he is. And today my whole goal is to recalibrate that image that you walk out of this room maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time remembering that God is real, God is near, God is loving, and God is powerful. So everything that he said, I am equipped and I need to do because now that I know that he is who he says he is, everything he said has been said for my good and his glory. And I don't have to be afraid to do what he said to me, called me to do. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to see what he said. Because see, if you don't, what you'll see about what he says is it's going to feel limiting. And it's going to feel like he's trying to deny you something. But everything that God has said, he said because, for your good and his glory. And because he wants you to live a life full and fruitful in his image. A few weeks ago in the middle of the night, I could hear my son Aiden just sobbing, crying. It woke me up. His room's kind of diagonally across the hall from our room. And I laid there for a minute because I thought maybe I dreamed it. And I could hear him just audibly just sobbing, crying. And I thought, I don't know, maybe he's had a bad dream or, or maybe something has just spooked him or I don't know what's going on so I got up it was like 2 30 in the morning and I went into his room and I opened the door and he's sitting on the edge of his bed and he's just these big old tears just pouring down his face just sobbing and I knelt down and I got I said buddy what what's wrong what's the matter did you have did you have a bad bad dream and he looked at me he said daddy I lost my remote 
<laughs> I looked and I noticed that the TV was on. I said, well, buddy, why are you crying so bad? He said, because I'm going to be in trouble. I said, what? He said, I, I woke up and I couldn't find my remote. I could turn my TV off. But I couldn't find it. I just knew you were, you were going to be so mad at me. I said, buddy, why did, why did you think of that? He said, because the other day you fussed at Leah for losing her remote. <laughs> Dad of the year. And see, I said, buddy, like that was a totally different, different situation. Like, like a few days earlier, L Leah's room looked like the hurricane came through it. <laughs> and everything was strode about everywhere. And it was on the heels of a couple instances where she had not been responsible for some of the things that she needed to be responsible for. So when she couldn't find her remote, it was in the context of a very, very different situation. And I said, buddy, you know, it, it's, it's not the same thing. But see, he had his, in his mind a view of me based on something totally outside the realm of what he was experiencing. And he let that instance warp his view of who I am and how much I love him and what I want to do for him. And his response was unnecessary. And I wonder how many of us do that with God. That the way that you see him as you sit in this room is in response to something that happened somewhere along the way. And it was just a totally different context or maybe you see something or heard something and, and it's shaped an inaccurate view of who he is and so I joined my son in crying that night and I hugged him and I looked at him and I held his face and I said buddy you don't ever have to react like this again no matter what because I'm your daddy and I love you and there's going to be times that I have to express my disappointment and maybe something you've done. But it will never change the reality that I'm your dad. And I love you more than you could ever know. And maybe your heavenly father's wanting to grab you by the face. Look into your eyes. And say, I love you more than you could ever know. Would you bow your heads close your eyes with me? My hope is today that you walk out of this building seeing Him for who He really is. Worshiping the wonderful, good, great, caring, compassionate, loving, near, real, powerful God. Because until you see Him for who He is, you will never be able to surrender to what He said because what He said sometimes is difficult to live out and it's difficult to understand and it can be taken out of context if we don't see him for who he is next week we're going to dive into those things so it's important that today you calibrate that image with your heads bowed and eyes closed would you reverently and quietly just rise to your feet and I'm going to pray for us and we're going to worship Father I pray that in this moment as we worship you for anybody in the room that maybe stepped into this building thinking that you were something other than you really are.
that you would use this moment to recalibrate that image and help them understand the depth of your love, that you are real, that you are near, that you are loving, and that you are powerful. And may we see you in the light of your glory and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.